Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens, episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh and hopefully less fan-biased eyes, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan who knows more context about the show. We are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 11, Rivals. Now, in this episode, you might notice Scott and I don't sound our best. I just got my COVID booster, and you all should as well, but I am wrecked right now. I've had the same reaction for every COVID vaccine, but it goes away in a day or so. But Scott, you had something happen to your tooth, and then something happened to your life. What happened, Scott? Yes, so I had to have a tooth removed today, so I am on a little bit of a, you know, I'm medicated for that, and then my dental office is not far from my job. My job is that of a social worker. And uh, I sometimes have a badge that says my job. I was walking and a, a man waiting on the bus said, are you a fucking social worker? And I said, uh, yes, sir, I am. Uh, how are you doing? And he was like, you know, there was a there was a social work school that burnt down a couple of years ago, and y'all should have been in there. Y'all should have burnt down. And I was like, uh, so I guess that uh, I you must have had a, a a hard experience with some social workers, and I'm really sorry about that. And he was like, "Fuck you, you don't know. Why are you being a smartass?" And I was like, I, I, "I'm really not. I just I see that." that you're in pain and and I do know that a lot of social workers and a lot of people that work in the field have sometimes done more harm than help. 
And he was like, look, if you don't get the fuck away from me, like I'm going to fuck you up. You know, I'm, I'm coming from the VA. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I, I was in the armed forces and he was an older gentleman. So it, it, I know. So when people are of a certain age, there are, Obviously, there's a big debate of whether you say thank you for your service, because I know a lot of people who are of our generation are like, fuck you, like, this is thankless, we've gone through so much, and then there are people that do appreciate it. And then for older generations, there's the term welcome home, which for some people has a deeper meaning and um, feels better. So I was like, well, you know, welcome home and thank you for your service and then he intimated and and grabbed for something that was clearly a, a weapon i i live in i live in an area where where people have weapons and you know a lot of areas people have weapons and that's a very complex um topic and i think that it's a it's a topic the things that I'm talking about, I think, are worthy of talking about in the context of Deep Space Nine, even though not necessarily this episode. However, I I think these things are significant, and I was like, okay, so I'm I was like, all right, I hear you. Um, uh, I'm really sorry, and and have a have a great day. And he went off to say some very ni- not nice things, and. I immediately call my partner and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, look, like the the social worker in me is, I'm just immediately trying to understand what's going on with this person, that they're in so much pain that they would want social workers or people who are working with them or people working in the VA system to, to, to die and so angry. And, and I'm just like, I don't know. For me, it rung really true with, the way that we treat veterans in this country and the way that we treat mental health in this country and the way that um, just like people who are victims of systems of oppression are, 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 are dealt with in this country. And, uh, and also shows me that uh, one, I'm very proud of the work that I do in that I was never scared at the moment and I was calm and I never, I was just like, let me, let me just try to be there for this person. And when it got to shit, when it got to a point where I was like, okay, this, this, this could potentially be an unsafe situation. I got myself out of it. So if I'm a little shook today, that's what happened. Um, I, I, I wish in, in a episode of Kismet, this happened in an episode that has more to do with uh, mental health and soldiers and the the people that we deal with in this show, because there's so many gray area characters. But that's what happened to me today. That's very different theme from uh, our episode we're going to discuss today. But that's some heavy stuff. Actually, could kind of relate to the episode we're going to talk about after this episode the alternate yes which is dealing with a lot of unprocessed trauma so we're going to be recording these episodes back to back so in the episode after this that'll be released next week or if you're binge listening 
the episode right after, you might notice we come in with the same energy and this is why, and maybe Scott, you could bring it up again for that episode. But talking about this episode, Rivals, which is a lot more lighthearted. Can you tell us about this episode? I, I guess so. I, <laughs> Are you in a place to talk about this episode? Are you okay, Scott? Yes. No, I, I'm okay. Uh, I'm I'm in therapy. I have a good relationship with my coworkers and my partner, and I'm I've unpacked this and I've talked about it, and and I feel good. <laughs> and I'm also on meds for for <laughs> for for a dentist, so I'm good. And I promise you that if I weren't, I, I would say so. I just more like of of the sl- of the episodes that we've been going through lately. I really didn't like this one. <laughs> We've hit a rough patch here. Yeah, so a couple needs a quarks bar. There's some vestments going on. He is a con man. He is clearly trying to to get some. He's trying to get somebody to to get rid of their fortune. And we find out that this person is Martis Mazor, a refugee from the El Orient system and has a silver tongue and the gift of gab. And Odo's like, I'm putting you away because you're, you're just up to no good. And there's also this subplot of O'Brien and Bashir playing racquetball. And, and like Bashir's really good at racquetball. And O'Brien is like, I used to be good at racquetball, but like, why am I not? He's upset that he's not that good at racquetball. And there are some reasons why, you know, Bashir's a little bit younger, uh, O'Brien's a little bit older. Um, you know, sometimes you know, I, you and I are both martial artists. Uh, I say that way more. I th- I mean, you are, you are a martial artist for a very long time. I've been practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a few years. So I don't even, so to call myself a martial artist, I don't even know if I feel comfortable saying that, but, but it's something that I work on. And as you get older, you have to work harder to to be able to do what you want to do. And you can't do the moves that you could do when you were younger and still accept the same results. So I thought there was a cool little thing there that they didn't deal with that well. And uh, Martis is annoyed because he's like at this holding cell and there's this friend there named Kaz who has this orb and the orb maybe has some properties. And then Kaz dies and Maris grabs the orb and is like, oh shit, this orb does some stuff. And then you have Miles who's lamenting to his wife. And this is another episode where him and his wife have some nice moments. There are some episodes where the relationship feels like it's not being written by people that are in relationships. And in this episode, it feels like it is. And, um, uh, Bashir is also frustrated and he's like, but I'm not going to let him win in this racquetball game. And why is this all going on? And then, uh, Martis comes to Quark's with his gamble orb. And he's like, you want to buy this gamble orb? Come on, just buy this gambling orb. Shit's going to be nice. And Quark's like, mm, I've met my match, but I'm not going to do that. Even though the orb has potential. and um, he's like, whatever. And then he, then he has these plans and he meets this Bajoran widow who has this extra spot 
in Deep Space Nine. And he's like, oh, maybe we could do something. And then, uh, so Bashir and, and Miles have another racket game. Bashir throws the game and Miles is mad. He's like, why would you do that? Um, and then, so then the rival, Quark's rival Maris opens up a rival spot at, you know, the Bajoran widow and he steals Rom because like, obviously in the, in the Ferengi culture, like, yeah, you could, you could just steal your coworkers and your family as long as it's a good deal. Like there is no, there's nothing sacred. Get that money. And, and it becomes more popular than Quark's, but. Dax is noting that there's some weird anomalies that are happening on the ship. Um, like there's some weird polarities and like people are showing up in the sick bay for some like weird shit. Um, and Bashir's like, I don't really want to play with miles right now. He's just getting too hyped up. And then miles goes to Quark, and Quark's is like, no one's coming to my place. And miles is like, I'm just really upset about sports. But minor mishaps are happening on board, and like something is up because the episode's halfway through. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Marty's bar, uh, Maris's bar, is starting to have to lay out large sums of gambling money. Isn't it Martis? Yeah. M- Maris, Morris, Martis's bar is like, oh shit the house is not winning anymore. This maybe this gambling orb isn't working or maybe this gambling orb is doing not exactly what we wanted to do. So then Quark is like, yo, we're going to have this racquetball match of the ages. We're going to have, and, and the money's going to go to Bajoran charity. So you got to do this because he's taking advantage of the game. That's what Quark does. So he's like, I'm going to get people to come to Quark's and we're going to have this racquetball game. And then they realize that for whatever reason in the station, like the luck, the probability, things that shouldn't be happening are, are happening. And it's, it's too, too, it's, there's no such thing as coincidence when all of a sudden the luck and the results are happening the way that they're happening. So, and Quark even tries to drug Bashir to make the game go because, like, all the money is on Bashir. So he wants him to lose. It's good for the numbers. And before the before the match, uh, Keiko and Miles have, like, this nice moment of love with kissing and stuff. And I was like, ah, oh, this is nice. Um, and Dax figures out, yeah, there's this luck anomaly. And uh, O'Brien and Bashir have the match but they're they're noticing like the ball is just going in a certain way it's hitting in a certain way there's just it's just scientifically not okay and like mass is putting all of his money mars is putting all of his money in a proposition where he thinks he's going to get lots of money and that's not going through and like Miles, Miles just is like this game doesn't make sense. The physics are not making sense. The laws of probability are being affected. It's messing up everything. Uh, this orb 
that he also that's also been replicated is shifting uh reality. So he's Maris is arrested and he's conned and he loses out on his shit. And Quark's like, I'll loan you money to get out of here and never come back. And and that's the episode. And yay. <laughs> A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. So it seems like outside of the Federation, the galaxy is still very much capitalist. Latinum, we learn, isn't the only currency. So whether the writers or fans like this fact or not, what makes the Federation economy work is that it's a closed, controlled, and planned economy. It's much like how to talk about socialism. So long as you don't call it that, but just describe it, Americans are much less fearful of it. Can you get to a moneyless world without a planned economy? All I can say is Star Trek has no vision for it. Now we get to Odo racial profiling the El Orians, which seems like an intentional critique of policing, but I'm not going to end my judgment there just with Odo because that's also how the show is written. They essentialize race. This isn't unique to DS9. It's a general convention within sci-fi and fantasy and even children's media. Monsters are bad not because they did anything wrong, but because they look different. But as a parent, I can say children's media is moving away from this convention. But what about modern sci-fi, Scott? Yes, and I think some shows are doing a better job of making races less monolithic and, in fact, the... I know you aren't watching the new Star Trek, but the new Star Treks are doing a really good job of this. And there are moments in Deep Space Nine that try to do this. And I know that you're really into the new Lord of the Rings show and the Lord people that are really trying to love Lord of the Rings, but also unpack some of the issues that Tolkien had are like, why are we doing this? There's there's a lot of controversy going in the Dungeons and Dragons world that some of the character classes and races that were created in the original forms of these Dungeons and Dragons are incredibly problematic because yeah, having a completely rate complete race have traits is is incredibly problematic and i and but also at the same time i don't want to say like i know all this stuff because i'm not i'm not reading 
as much as I used to. I'm not watching as much as I used to, but I do see that that people are making more attempts, especially in y- young adult uh, science fiction and in, in novels. In novels, Sam, people are going fucking ham. There's so much good happening in science fiction novels, uh, fantasy novels, young adult novels. Uh, There is so much diversity of subject matter, writing, and characters. But as far as television, it's it's still a fucking mess. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's much easier with books, right? Because it just has to be one creator so that one person can write this world and get it out there. There's barriers to entry, but not as many barriers to entry as TV. Now, the scene of space racquetball with Bashir and O'Brien seemed like an allegory for class distinctions, especially the rich med school guy versus the working class space mechanic. I was taking note of that in that scene. And then later on, I think they actually call him the mechanic. So definitely seemed like that's what they were going for. And also you have the English accent versus the Irish accent. So I think a lot of this was intentional. I don't think they designed these characters for this class analysis, but because they had them, they were like, hey, we could do maybe not a nuanced story about this, but we could do something with this, which still related to the overall theme of this episode, which is about money and financial crime, white collar crime. Money is still very important, at least in this sector. We also see O'Brien losing and showing some toxic masculinity, which is a reminder that just because you're working class doesn't mean life will automatically radicalize you. And even if you are radicalized about class, you might still carry with you reactionary ideas about masculinity and race, which O'Brien is actually a complex example of. And in fact, that's a huge issue in some of the circles that let real talk, like some of the circles that we exist in or are hovering over, like there are a lot of people who um, are like super theoretical, like working hard on like their anarchism or their socialism, communism, and the many places in between and praxis or and theory. And then in praxis have a lot of problematic behaviors and a lot of toxic masculinity and when 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 put on to task to do that are don't don't want to or try to or try to be like essentialists or uh reductivists like definitely in in the spaces that I work in and live in there's and I think we've talked about it here but if we haven't I'm happy to you know be, beware the the simple class reductionist or the race reductionist um, when obviously like there's, there's so much interspersed in between them or, or people that are just all theory and, and no action. Or even I remember, uh, you and I were doing an episode a few weeks ago and I was using a, a, a gendered language and you were like, yo, like, could you not use that language that way? And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, thank you. And then like, I looked into it and I was like, oh, okay. And just in case you you erase that or didn't, I don't know. So I'm not going to go into detail. But like, you challenged me, and and I had I had the opportunity to be like, no, 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 or be like, okay, okay, thank you. 
So even like a guy like Miles O'Brien, who, when it comes to like unions and shit is like, he's, he's a woke motherfucker when it comes to that shit. And, but he's also problematic and he also is patriarchal and he's also, you know what I'm saying? So there's, there, there is a lot going on. And like racquetball is a very classist game. Maybe not so much in the future. Um, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, like we're like golf used to be a game of the Highlands that was turned into a game of, of, of the rich and the, a game of, of global warming, <laughs> but you know, like racquetball and squash that that's seems to me when I think of that, I think of like some eighties Gordon Gecko shit. Even in space, it sounds like there is class distinctions because O'Brien talks about how he learned to play racquetball by teaching himself. He's self-taught, whereas Bashir is more classically trained as something they learned at his medical school. So they definitely made it seem like maybe in the future there are no private schools, but they drew allusions to this is basically that. There, there is, there, there still are class, you know, there's still star belly and non-star belly snitches, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's, there's still issues and without going into great detail, we learn some things about Bashir eventually, which I think you'll be like, huh? Now, can I see O'Brien go MAGA? No, but could I see one of his cousins go MAGA? Sure. So throughout the episodes, throughout the seasons, all the characters, they're getting more textured. They're becoming more three-dimensional. They're being shown all sorts of different sides, that it's not all good, it's not all bad, it's a complex texture, which makes them more enjoyable. You like a character who makes you happy, but also pisses you off. Now, going back to the plot of this episode, could you have financial crime in a world without capitalism where there was no money? If you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. Odo, of course, is important in this episode, and you see the connection between policing and property. So even if we abolish cops or you could make a world without cops, if capitalism still exists and so does private property, you'll still naturally end up with cops because you not only need someone to protect your property, but also someone to handle disputes over property. Catching Martis is justice because what he was doing was unjust. But people needing retirement money or savings or otherwise being fucked, that's the real injustice. Martis doesn't create these consequences. Martis doesn't create these conditions. I'm sure ideally Martis would like to take people's money without them being ruined. But those disastrous consequences are what give money value. This is why capitalism can never be free and democratic and always tyrannical and punitive. And if they tell you it's free and democratic, they're lying. So you don't revolt and you fall in line with the consequences. So you say, well, that's what you get for not having money. Money's value is derived 
from the consequences. That's real. If not having money didn't have any consequences, would money have value in this world? Which then is like, well, if you don't want a punitive world, then how can you have money? Now, going back to Bajor and the sector of the galaxy, it still very much operates like our real world. And DS9 runs not just as a space station, but also as a retail space, like an ANCAP mall. You see that explicitly here where you can build a casino anywhere so long as you can pay for the lease. We also find out about Bajoran Charities, which is a part of neoliberalism. Privatize everything, which I've already brought up in past episodes. And if you want to fill in the gaps of the harm of privatization, donate to charities. But charities are also part of the neoliberal system. So they may help certain individuals, but they don't help the systemic problem. Maybe this goes back to how that guy felt about social workers, right? You could have individuals being helped by you. You know, you have a bunch of fish on the beach and you and I throw as many back as we can. And that helped those individual fishes, but that's not really solving the problem here, right? So these individual answers, charities, social workers, they are dealing with the end result, but they're not necessarily preventing the things that cause the problems to society, right? You're trying to deal with it after the damage has occurred. We're not doing transformative stuff to stop the damage from occurring. We're not stopping the thing that's killing the fishes. Right. And also, like, charities in capitalist countries are definitely different than, like, charities in developing countries or NGOs. And that's obviously a totally complex topic in itself. But, you know, the kind of the kind of people that were probably like, oh, I'm going to give up everything I'm doing and go, go to Bajor and help Bajorans, you know, and create NGO in, in, in Bajor is a little different than what like rich people could do to not pay taxes to create charities. Mm-hmm. They're both problematic, but they also both operate differently. Oh, absolutely. Like Bono going to Bajor. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm very jaded at charities so <laughs> at this current moment. So, and I'm also just like jaded at altruism and even social work or even things that are theoretically supposed to be net positives for the world. And the the brilliance for me in in Deep Space Nine is that in other forms of Star Trek where you see like the Federation and the post scarcity world and the the socialist slash communist utopia is it's less murky where in in Deep Space Nine, which is not quite a demilitarized zone, but but certainly has different viewpoints, you see like, oh, it's it's not as simple as you as you think it were. And and to me that's what makes the show so interesting and how an episode like this, which which is like 
this is a this is like a low this is like a this is like a two point five for me, but I'm really enjoying the conversation I'm having from it. And recently, I think you might have seen me mention I was looking into nonprofits, like starting a nonprofit, because I was just thinking about with running the martial arts program, if I did something in person, what's the best way to do it? And it's like, well, do I set up some kind of entity? I I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know if there's going to be an in-person thing. But in looking up a possible entity, I was looking into nonprofits and then looking at how you get approved for nonprofits. And to your point, there's so much gray area for nonprofits, charities to be shit because to be a nonprofit, it's just an IRS tax code just like the 401k is a type of tax code. So it's just about what you got to do, the bare minimum to qualify for that. And so what are tax codes? What are things like 401k or the nonprofit tax code? It's just a way to defer or not pay taxes. They both are ways to avoid taxes. They're both forms of tax sheltering. That's what I learned. I was a former financial analyst in the past. So I knew that about different retirement accounts and even trust or ways to shelter you from taxes. But really looking at the code for nonprofits, it's also just the tax code to shelter you from taxes. So I don't even know what the original intent is. It says some kind of social good, but it's so vague and broad and it doesn't define it. It just really seems like a way for rich people, again, to shelter their money from taxes. And that's just what, like some like fancy Cardassians with some thumb rings and some Bajoran earrings who are like, we shouldn't have done what they did. They would do that too. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm having, I'm not, I try to be a positive person and not toxic, not toxically positive, but I, I think today I'm, today's been an interesting one. Today forced you to keep it real, and also you're drugged up, so we're getting you raw. I'm I, w- I wouldn't say drugs. I'm on medicine. Medicine, yes, yes. Going back to this episode, what's wild is it's not just the Ferengi. Scarcity is turning lots of people into greedy capitalists and exploiters, at least on DS9. Yet we see here with Martis that you can even replicate complex gambling machines that can make you money. And it seems like everyone has access to it because Martis was very open about how he made them because that's not breaking any rules. And that also didn't set off any red flags for Cisco and Dax and neither did building a casino in the promenade. And in the end, he never gets into trouble for that, only for ripping off an old retired couple. So that's a flaw within the economy of DS9, which makes it a Trek problem. Yeah that you could just replicate things that make money and everybody has access to it. So not all of this makes sense. Yeah, I was bugging a little up because again, this is one of those episodes where I didn't remember. I was like, wait, you can just like replicate <laughs> uh, a luck egg. <laughs> yep. And get rich off of it and earn a bunch of latinum, right? So this is the logic of trying to make capitalism work in a post-scarcity world. Not everything makes sense. Also, what made the El Orians good listeners and what was the appeal of the globe that just changes lights, like you said, the luck egg, wasn't clear either or what exactly it did. But that's when we have to say it's just a TV show. But despite all that, this episode has to meet to it as far as topics, not necessarily plot or even logic. A lot of this didn't make sense. A lot of it was kind of silly. 
I know you already gave us some preamble, but what did you think, Scott? I mean, I'll take this episode over the last couple episodes that we worked with um, because I just enjoyed the conversation from it. However, if I never saw this episode again, I'd be fine. It's one of their sillier episodes. But Scott, can you tell us a bit about the next episode? So the next episode is the alternate and something that goes on in the Gamma Quadrant has an element that may fuck with Odo and let us learn a little bit more about Odo. Maybe. Until then. Bye.